Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening. Daniels on Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul. And today is Tuesday, March 24th, and it's 6.37 Eastern Time. I'd like to really apologize to everyone for a late start. I'm in, I moved in Central Time when the time zone changed, and I just, for some reason, thought it was Eastern Time. But today's show is a doozy. I think you'll, you'll, get, you'll like it. Uh, I'm going to comment on nine health gurus killed by their own practices. And listen up, because could you be following one of these? So we're going to tell it like it is. I first have to tell you how I came to do the show, of course. As many of you know, I live in Panama. And in Panama, we have a community of expats, uh, English speakers. And one of them actually is Canadian. I believe she's Canadian. And um, but many people here are health gurus. I mean, health nuts, I guess would be a better word. They're concerned about their health. They follow special diets. They have a special machine, maybe a rice machine, maybe a rebounder. They drink special water, all kinds of things they do for their health. So, of course, uh, you would expect then that they would live longer and do better. So one such individual, actually, she came uh, to Panama the same time I did seven years ago. And so we were about the same age. And we would talk from time to time and, and meet up and, you know. And she was always interested in some, she's always exploring the, the next best thing, the latest thing, the greatest product, multi-level marketing, of course, or whatever. But she's always had this product-based uh, perspective on, on healing. And so I saw her one weekend, and we chatted, and she told me just how great things were going. I thought, oh, wow, I'm so happy to hear that. And she had discovered coconut. She had discovered coconut oil. You know, you can take a teaspoonful a day. Um, You can make dehydrated coconut chips. You can take the pulp of the coconut, dehydrate it, and turn it up, and it makes like a peanut butter. 
I mean, it's just endless, endless, all the coconut things. And so uh, she invited me to take a dried coconut chip and dip it in the coconut butter, which I did. And I tasted it, and I immediately felt not so good. I didn't feel awful, but I didn't feel as good as I felt before I ate the coconut chip. And so I said, boy, I don't know. I don't know about that. And, of course, she had coconut oils and coconut creams and all, all manner of things. And so I told her, well, you're going to have to come by sometime and we'll get together and blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, I took her card, didn't call her, and eight days later, she died suddenly at night in her sleep. And the first thing you think is, oh, my God, the husband did it. But I'd met her husband really very briefly. Uh, she was newly married. And he was just the most loving, adorable, indulgent, kind guy. And I said, nah, nah, nah. He wouldn't kill her. All right, let's just say he didn't do it. How could she have died? I said, oh, my God. Could she have died of her own health practices? I was shocked, absolutely shocked. I said, you know what? I think she did. I think she did. And if you, the way that analysis would go is you dehydrate the coconut to get the chip. You take that dried chip and you turn it into a cream, which is called coconut butter. And the two together is profoundly dehydrating on the system. So if she was eating her own stuff in any amount, then she was severely dehydrated. And what she died of was severe dehydration. So uh, that is the um, index case that got me thinking about this. Like, you know, I'll bet she's not the only one that died that way. Let me take a look. And sure enough, there's a whole group. Now, I'd like to say that the show ordinarily ends at six, but I'm going to continue beyond that. So those of you listening on air will still be able to hear me. But if you're listening some other kind of way, you might not be able to. All right. So hoisted on their own guitar. My mother loved to say that. She said, ah, he was hoisted on his own guitar. But I figured I should look it up to figure out what the heck it was. So uh, a guitar, basically, they were used during sieges of castles or fortified cities. It's a primitive and exceedingly dangerous explosive device which is a brass or iron belt-shaped device filled with gunpowder fixed to a wooden base called uh, a madrier. This is attached to a wall or a gate. And so, obviously, if the person is trying to install the petard as a bomb to blow up the gate, and it always goes in an upward direction, if the person doesn't get away in time, they get blown up with it, and, and, and it hoists them up in the air. And so the expression back then was shortened to hoisted on its own petard. So when a petard detonates prematurely, the petardier would be lifted by the explosion and, of course, uh, murdered. And basically, it's a case of the bomb maker being blown up with his own bomb. And nowadays, there's a more modern definition, which is uh, to be murdered by your own scheme or your own plan. Okay. Now, how do we know that someone died young of their own uh, of their own making? First of all, you have to have a definition of what's young. So the life expectancy of the United States, which is what we're talking about here, uh, for men 
believe it or not, is uh, as trickish a life as they live. For men, it's 76.3 years, so hold that in your mind. 76.3 years is what the average American male is going to live to be. And this is with no special care or anything. 76.3 years. And the average woman is going to live 81.1 years. Okay. This is average doing nothing. So you would expect that if a theory or plan of medical or health, of health achievement was effective, then the person practicing it would have a life expectancy that exceeds 76.3 for a man and 81.1 for a female. And so if, if, if these health gurus died before that age, then we would say they were hoisted on their own guitar. Because we're going to presume, we're going to presume that they were following their health, their own health prescription. And most, I think most health gurus do. Okay. So let's take a look. My favorite is Arnold Eret. Arnold E-H-R-E-T. And personally, I'll tell you, I like Arnold Eret. I like his writings. I really admire them. And it was Arnold Eret's book, The Music Was Dying System, that got me um, fasting and doing all these things. And I'll have to say I was a little disturbed when I found that Mr. Eret died in his 50s. And so then I... Uh, I investigated. Well, first of all, the mucus diet system is a practice of eating um, all fresh foods and fasting, that means nothing but water, for periods of anywhere from one to 30 days. Okay. And Arnold Arette himself enjoyed fasting. Now, one big problem with fasting is when you fast, you can become lightheaded and you can fall. This can happen very suddenly. So it's not, you know, this is not a trivial thing. So how did, did Mr. Eret die? Now, if you if you listen to all of his followers, they'll say the Illuminati caught up with him and killed him. And anything's possible. But the facts of the case are, he was walking down the street, he fell, and he hit his head, and he died. That would be the fact of the matter. That's, that's all the facts we have. Everything else is conjecture. So I'm going to give you my conjecture. My conjecture comes from um, personally having fasted many, many times and even having fainted once, not during a fast. Well, actually it was. Um, having fainted once, I, I can tell you that when you fast, you do feel weak, you do feel lightheaded, and you are prone to falling. Now, when I was in medical school, I was fasting, but I didn't know it. I was eating every other day just to conserve uh, funds. And so I didn't have to borrow money. And so I was eating every other day, and I somehow got the days mixed up, and I skipped eating two days in a row. And back then, I didn't understand that you had to drink water when you, when you were not eating. And uh, if I knew that, I probably would have eaten because it was cheaper. Because um, when you fast, you're supposed to drink pure water. But at any rate, um, so I wasn't drinking or eating, which is extremely hazardous. And so I was fortunately in the presence of two other people when I just passed out. And fortunately, they caught me before I hit the ground, so I did not suffer Arnold Arrest's fate. Um, so it is my supposition that Arnold Arrest died 
at his own hands while practicing his own theory, which is fasting. What is the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story is if you're going to fast, you really have to be conscientious about drinking enough water, or better yet, if you don't want to fast, don't do it. Um, I found in my medical practice that if I could get someone to give up all the bad food, so to speak, for a full month, that had the same effect as, as fasting for two or three days. And so for every month that they abstain from processed foods, it's like a three-day fast. So literally, if someone can go six months of eating uh, reasonable food, that's like an like 18-day fast with really none of the dangers. And you can also, um, while, you're fa- while you're doing good things, uh, consider doing enemas, which gives you more of that fasting or cleansing effect without the hazards. Okay, so that is Arnold Eret. Here's another one. The macrobiotic diet, that would be uh, Michiel and Evelina Cushy. Um, now, Evelina Cushy died um, at the age, I believe, of 73. Which is pretty close to 70, to, well, no, it's actually somewhere in here. So 81.1 years of age would have been the um, age for an American female. But you got to understand, Evelina and uh, Kushi, Mich- Kushi, came from Japan. Yes, Japan, which has an even longer life expectancy. So Evelina Kushi made it as far as uh, 73 years old. What did Evelina die of? Evelyn Akushi died of cervical cancer. Now, we, we comment, so, so Evelyn Akushi also wrote a lot of cookbooks. And Evelyn Akushi's cookbook featured brown rice syrup. So she wrote the desserts for the macrobiotic diet, um, basically. So let's uh, back up about the macrobiotic diet. I first learned about the macrobiotic diet when I was in medical practice in the 90s. And patients would come in and tell me, oh, Dr. Daniels, I cured myself of cervical cancer with the macrobiotic diet. I was like, oh, my God, I've got to learn more about this. And I bought all the macrobiotic books. I bought the $90 macrobiotic kit where you had all the macrobiotic foods. You got the seaweed. I mean, I had arami. I had wakami. I had aziki. I had all kinds of seaweed. And then I, you know, had the brown rice and I had the vegetables and everything that you needed for macrobiotic diet, I had it right there in my little kit. And I went and bought more. Then I went to the um, Cushy Institute in Massachusetts. And I got the um, macrobiotic massage and lined the kids up and they each got a macrobiotic massage. And then we had a wonderful macrobiotic meal, um, and it just felt awfully just, eh, you know, but, you know, it had, to my understanding, cured a few of my patients, so I've got to find out more about this. And so uh, my one patient who cured her cervical cancer came back and said, oh, my cervical cancer came back. I said, oh, my gosh, now what are you going to do? And so she elected to go on a raw food diet, which ultimately cured her cervical cancer. But back to the uh, macrobiotic diet. So 
when I went to the Institute, I said, I want to be on a macrobiotic diet. I just want to get healthier. Right now, everything seems to be okay, just under a little bit of stress. I said, oh, okay, here's a macrobiotic diet. And they, I had little Oliboshi plums I had to boil. And um, I couldn't have any tomatoes, no tomatoes, and no potatoes, and no eggplant, no, no um, nightshade. And so this was all fine. Now, the basic philosophy of the macrobiotic diet, macro meaning large, biotics meaning life. So it means you should only eat unprocessed food. Unfortunately, Michio Kushi interpreted that to mean you should eat the Japanese unprocessed food while you're living in the United States. Another problem with the uh, macrobiotic diet was the food was actually grown in Japan for the most part. This was back in the 90s. And so it was actually imported. A lot of the food was imported. And so then you have this geographical mismatch. So you have the food grown in Japan with all these um, biological nutrients perfect for the environment in Japan, and people in America are eating them. So that's the basic um, nuts and bolts. And now we now know, you can Google it, dietary treatment of cervical cancer or diet in cervical cancer, is that women who have cervical cancer, uh, the difference between their diet and people who do not have cervical cancer is tomatoes. Yes, tomatoes. So tomatoes, prohibited on the, on the uh, macrobiotic diet, uh, that appears to be Evelina Cushy's downfall. Now, we have a little bit more insight into the uh, macrobiotic diet. When you know that her husband, Michio Kushi, now he lived, he did very well. He lived to, into 90-something, so he did, he did cool. Um, but he was a chain smoker of uh, four packs a day of cigarettes. And so it's clear then that his diet did have uh, some beneficial effect. Either that or he was smoking natural cigarettes. So why do people smoke cigarettes? Well, they smoke cigarettes because they have a B vitamin deficiency. And so Mashio Kushi was medicating his B vitamin deficiency with cigarettes. Very interesting. Okay, so that's our our, our third uh, our third guru. Bit to dust. And then we have James Six. He's the author of the 1977 Runaway Bestseller. And I was a teenager, so I, I witnessed this one. The Complete Book of Running. And he is the one that started the American running craze. He ran 10 miles a day in addition to other vigorous exercise and was described as being in fine physical condition by friends. Yet he had a deadly heart attack at the age of 52 while jogging at the port near his home in Vermont. Although he showed no symptoms, autopsy results revealed that his left circumflex artery was almost totally blocked. About 80% of the blood flow in his right coronary artery was blocked and half of the left anterior descending was blocked in places. Although he had a family history of heart disease, his problems had gone undiagnosed by a physician. Now, there's something here they don't tell you. Where was the blood clot? Where was the evidence? Where was the evidence that he died of a heart attack? And the answer is, of course, from the description, there's none. So there's a couple of other things here. First of all, exercising demands and consumes nutrition. And the way your body works is when you use up the last B vitamin, when you lose up, when you use use up the last unsubstitutable trace mineral, and that's it. Boom, lights out. And when you jog, 
you use up a lot of B vitamins, you use up a lot of minerals, especially with the perspiring. And this is what happened to, to, to James Bix. So if he had jogged a lot less, he would have lived a lot longer. Many people feel that exercising is the cure. Exercise is not the cure. Exercise is the reward. So once you get healthy, then you can exercise. You don't exercise to get healthy. Many people feel that they exercise to get healthy, but that's actually not the case. The case is that you exercise once you have the health. So if you don't even have the strength to exercise, you just, you just can't do it. can't do it. If you're arthritic, if you're in pain, you have too much pain to move, you just cannot do it. And so the thing you do is to fix the problem first. In the case of arthritis, you know, change your diet, clean out your system, get rid of the pain-causing materials, and then as the pain declines, sure, go ahead and exercise. So he really got it backwards, and he died at the age of 52, basically because he just depleted all of his uh, nutrients. Then we have um, Vaz Majin. He's, he's another guy, contemporary with me. Um, the body's many cries for water. That was his, um, his book. And I read his book, The Body's Many Cries for Water, and I was really impressed. Um, his story is that he was in a prison in Europe, and he was a doctor. And, of course, he didn't have the usual uh, tools to work with. And so when he saw someone who was sick, he would prescribe water. And they would invariably get better. And so he expanded on this and decided that, well, people will get better if they um, they drank water. And so I said, oh, my God, I've got to learn more about this water cure. And so I bought all of his books, I read his books, all his books are so well written, you get thirsty reading them. And I said, well, what kind of water? And he's very emphatic, any kind of water, tap water, sewage water, water in the street, whatever water you have, just drink it. Wow. Well, that's not good. I said, no, 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 no. I can go along with them that you have to drink water, but what killed Batmanjian was that he felt any water would do. He died of pneumonia. Died of pneumonia. And how do you get pneumonia? You get pneumonia basically by aspirating a little bit of whatever you're drinking, and it has bacteria in it. And boom, you've got pneumonia. So at 73, he got pneumonia. He went to the hospital, and uh, he died in the hospital. So it's clear that Vatmajin was certainly hoisted on his own petard. So had he not only drank enough water, but had he drank purified water, chances are he would be alive. Now, there's a lot of speculation of what happened after he got into the hospital. However, it's a common thing for 73-year-old people with pneumonia to uh, die in the hospital. So I personally would not look for any big plot there. All right, so we're about to be cut off. I'm going to keep talking. So those of you uh, who don't 
catch it because you're cut off, it'll be in the replay. So that's thought margin. Then we have Michael Montanet. Now he's not a contemporary of mine in terms of me being aware of his uh, his work. He's a famous French doctor, originally developed the Montagnac diet to help himself lose weight. The diet went on to become the backbone of his best-selling books and a chain of restaurants and stores promoting his nutritional regimen. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Any nutritional regimen that can give birth to a chain of restaurants may help you lose weight, but it's not healthy. So his research focused on the glycemic index, which we now know to be unreliable, and the distinction between good and bad carbohydrates. For example, whole grains are good, refined flour is bad. In his 1987 book, Eat Yourself Swim, sold 17 million copies in several countries, and his work and theories were the inspiration behind the South Beach diet, which is the diet that President Clinton was following when he had his heart attack. And he died of prostate cancer at the age of 66. So, um, we can certainly say he died at 66. He may have had prostate cancer at the time. Let's accept that their, their diagnosis of prostate cancer as a cause of death. The truth of the matter is that prostate cancer runs right alongside um, heart disease as well. So, uh, Mr. Monsignac's diet was definitely, in this case, the cause of not only his death, but likely his prostate cancer because prostate cancer diets that can be cured easily with dietary modifications. That's Michael Montignac. Then we have Nathan Pritikin. Now, I uh, was aware of Nathan Pritikin because my father followed the Pritikin diet off and on. Okay, so Pritkin is the granddaddy of all diet gurus and um, really the um, person who gave the health, regi- health revolution a big, uh, big push. So he's the inventor with a passion for nutrition and fitness. He's one of the first to promote the connection between diet and heart disease, which in the 70s... Uh, was a surprisingly novel idea. His best-selling book was promoted a low-fat diet. His media appearances and namesake longevity centers have been responsible for guiding many followers into good health. Now, again, the problem with the low-fat diet, uh, there's a couple of problems with low-fat diets. Um, and although his diet and exercise regimens brought him into excellent cardiovascular health, they were not enough to combat the leukemia that ravaged his body and pricking committed suicide in his hospital bed at the age of 69. Okay. So what what was going on here? First of all, low-fat diets. Low-fat diets uh, call for things like margarine. And a lot of times in low-fat diets, just like in vegan diets, there are a lot of chemical-based um, ingredients that are used in order to lower the fat and preserve flavor. So the um, Pritikin definitely, you know, uh, fell as a result of his diet. And committing suicide, um, 
suicide is, in most people, a side effect of medication or chemical poisoning. And so very few suicides occur because a person is uh, simply sad. In fact, you really can't blame sadness. Why? Because most people who are sad just don't commit suicide. So you can't you can't equate the two. I mean, if everyone who went through bankruptcy or got a divorce committed suicide, the suicide rate would be a lot higher. So the um, so so clearly his suicide was not the result of uh, reversal, but the result of one might say a clogged liver. Now, I will say, though, uh, being ravaged with leukemia and lying in a hospital bed is pretty darn depressing. You would think he'd have some family members who would take him home so he could die uh, at home in some kind of comfort, but that's another matter. Um, then we have Pavel Areola. Now, Pavel Areola is a really... Uh, brilliant person, a lot of interesting um, nutritional information. And he was a nutritionist and a naturopathic doctor with a background in biochemistry and natural healing. Now, this is always a problem when you, when you have too much education. Yes, I know, I'm not one to talk, having a medical degree and an MBA and an undergraduate degree from Harvard, but I assure you I work every day to overcome that limitation. Uh, and he promoted natural healing through diet of nutritious whole foods and holistic medicine. He lectured extensively across the globe and spent time as a visiting lecturer at prestigious universities, including Stanford University Medical School. He served as president of the International Academy of Biological Medicine and authored 14 books, two of which became international bestsellers. The American Academy of Public Affairs went as far as to issue areola the Award of Merit for his book on arthritis. This brilliant man was felled by a stroke at the age of 64. All right. So, Ariola had the food down pat, but I will tell you, nothing, nothing, no diet can save you from dehydration. And that's the cause of stroke. So, really, two, two causes of stroke, B vitamin deficiency and dehydration. That's it. End of discussion. And um, when it comes to dehydration, it's, it's tough to be lucky. So you definitely uh, drink your water. And so Pablo Areola died of dehydration. Why? Because he believed that you could eat whole foods and rely on holistic medicine. N you know, no, no big talk of water here. And... That's the shortcoming I see in a lot of the philosophies of natural healers is they rely tremendously on um, supplements or um, patented um, material when they're very, very, very basic things that keep you healthy and keep you living longer. One of them is water. There is just no getting around it. Uh, Dr. Bud Majin was correct, water, but it's incorrect in terms of it does need to be purified. Then we have Robert Atkins. Never forget Robert Atkins. 
Robert Atkins was having troubles with the um, New York State Licensing Board just before I was. And so he had made a settlement with the licensing board about, um, I would say, a year into, into my problem. So, of course, Robert Atkins was the creator of one of the world's most famous diets, the Atkins Nutritional Approach, also known as the Atkins Diet. And he basically gave the okay for bacon lovers to pig out on all things protein and condemn carbohydrates to the hall of dietary shame. So diet, dieters swore by the program and vegetarians shuddered. I can vouch for that. I was vegetarian at the time. In fact, I was vegan when uh, I went through my license difficulty. And meanwhile, Atkins himself was revealed after his death to have had a history of serious heart problems, including myocardial infarction, a heart attack, congestive heart failure, and hypertension, which has been suggested by some to lead to his death, caused by a fall on the ice. He died at the age of 72, very, very young. Um, he had a lot going on when he died. So his settlement with the um, licensing board was reached after he spent over a million dollars on litigation. Well, my budget was not hardly a million dollars. And when I heard that he had spent a million dollars in litigation, I just basically said, let me throw in a towel right now before I go any further. And at that point, he was still alive. I'd also like to say that when I was a teenager, um, in the 70s, I saw the Atkins diet to lose weight. Very, very helpful for losing weight. So what's wrong with the Atkins diet? Well, it causes heart disease. So there you have it. Uh, it's pretty bad for your heart. He himself died of a heart issue. Next is Robert Kowalski. Now, again, Robert is not one that I was personally aware of when you know, I was uh, practicing medicine. There's the author of the New York Times best-selling book, which is on the list for 115 weeks, The New Eight-Week Cholesterol Cure. Well, there's your warning right there. Eight-Week Cholesterol Cure. So we now know that cholesterol is a good guy. Cholesterol is a good guy that comes in to clean up the damage caused by, if you want to say it, the bad guys or the um, cholesterol, or processed food, or chemicals. And so what Robert was going to do is lower your cholesterol in eight weeks, as well as the eight-week cholesterol cure cookbook, cholesterol in children, eight steps to a healthy heart, the type 2 diabetes diet book, and the blood pressure cure. Eight weeks to lower blood pressure without prescription drugs, and he died at the age of 55 from a pulmonary embolism. And so cholesterol, of course, does not need to be lowered. Toxins are the issue, and that's what got Mr. Kowalski, is that these toxins cause his blood to congeal, and he develops a ball of blood, which you call blood clot, went straight to his lungs, and boom, that's it, blood cell. And so in this particular um philosophy or regimen, he focused on things that 
in this case, cholesterol did not need to be lowered, number one. And number two, did not focus on the problem really is the toxins. So toxins can actually form bridges between blood cells, causing them to clump together and form really, you know, a rather large complexes. And we as doctors say, oh, my God, it's a blood clot. And so our uh, the doctor's approach, of course, is to give high doses of blood thinners, which, of course, misses the point, which is that you have these toxins acting like cross-links, binding uh, blood cells together and leading to these incredible um, disasters. So that is the real problem. And since uh, Mr. Kowalski overlooked that, uh, as they say, it came back to bit him, and he was hoisted on his own petard. And finally, look over here, we have Adele Davis. And born in 1904, so Adele was a contemporary of my grandparents. Adele Davis was one of the country's best-known early nutritionists and contended that almost any disease could be prevented by proper diet. Visionary author penned four best-selling books, Let's Cook It Right, Let's Have Healthy Children, Let's Get Well, and Let's Eat Right. Now, I did have her book, Let's... Uh, Let's eat right to keep fit. And she also received criticism for some of her more far-out ideas. Her enthusiasm for health food led her to become an early advocate for the need to exercise. And this is a problem. The dangers of vitamin deficiencies, as well as the need to avoid hydrogenated fat, saturated fat, and excess sugar consumption, all of which remain standard guidelines today. Now, we now know with additional information that Saturated fat should not be avoided, that there is some saturated fat in the diet that is needed. I can vouch for that because after 27 years of being vegetarian slash vegan, I was profoundly weak and could only be revived by saturated fat and meat. I am uh, happy to say that I was able to swallow my pride and save my life by uh, not being so doctrinaire. However, Davis succumbed to cancer at the age of 70. Now, while some people consider her death premature based on the current national average, others say she lived a relatively long life for a woman born in 1904. She had maintained that cancer was a result of inadequacies of the American diet, and upon discovering her illness, she expressed hope that her diagnosis would not disappoint the many people who took her good advice to heart. A very classy, dignified individual, uh, excellent physician. Now let's look at her philosophy and see what the problem is. She contended that almost any disease could be prevented by proper diet. And I will tell you that that is absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. I believe that uh, in the earlier parts of my um, awareness of natural healing and its benefits. I was like, wow, man, 
I can heal anything, man. Just diet, diet, diet. And then these chronic disease people came along. I don't mean diabetes. That one could be cured with diet, no problem. I mean people like lupus, people like rheumatoid arthritis, people like chronic fatigue syndrome, um, like Lyme disease. These people absolutely cannot be cured with diet alone. Can't be. Why? Because diet is not the primary pathology. And so what Adele Davis overlooked was the role of poisons and chemicals. In other words, she was well aware of malnutrition, but did not fully comprehend the input of pesticides and other chemicals, and did not fully comprehend that a person can have chemical overload and die of chemical ingestion. And this, uh, we see with her death at the age of 70 of cancer, cancer is primarily, again, a disease of chemical poisoning. So that lack of awareness in her philosophy and in her practice led to her premature death. Now, the next thing that led to her premature death was her refusal to resort to anything but food. In my case, um, again, that was my philosophy initially. Food, 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 this food or that food, what's the food missing, let's use the food. Yeah, food was the answer. But it's not true. It's not true. If someone's overrun with parasites, you, you know, you got you to gotta do something to address those parasites. If something, someone is consumed with chemicals, you've got to do something to address those chemicals. You've got to do something to at least stop their exposure. And then you've got to do something to even remove what's already there. So these two things that she was not aware of are actually what causes cancer, is the chemical accumulation, the parasitic accumulation, and nothing being done to stop the exposure or remove the accumulation, and then it progresses to cancer. So um, her death at the young age of 70 was a direct result of her philosophy. I'm going to check and see if we have any questions here in the uh, chat room. <laughs> All right, we have one. Besides nematodes and worms, what else constitutes a parasite? Um, bacteria constitute parasites uh, for sure. Um, funguses, uh, I would rate as uh, parasites. Now, again, what has happened to the American people is they've lost sight of a parasite being something that sits in your body, eats your food, and even eats you. And if you have that definition of a, of a parasite, then pretty much um, bacteria, fungi, uh, nematodes, roundworms, segmented worms, and um, protozoa definitely apply. And parasite means, para means around, and, and site means table. I don't know which language it is. So 
literally it's an animal that sits at your table and your table is your uh, either comes in on your food but it sits in your stomach eating your food before you absorb it and that is the problem. Okay, so we have a few questions here. Okay, I have a co-worker with Sjogren's disease. Nice way that can't work because of disease of Bacchus. Any suggested study on that disease? Definitely. Uh, so if you don't know, Sjogren's is an autoimmune disease um, associated with dry eye and arthritis. And the dry eye is severe. It is severe. So severe that um, they often use uh, drops and also dry mucous membranes. They even uh, might purchase artificial fit. Okay, so this person's in a bad way. So someone with an autoimmune disease and with Sjogren's definitely has a diet, some dietary issues. And there, I don't know of any disease, any cure or remedy that's going to help her um, until she uh, cleans up her diet. Um, probably the reason she's sick is because she's so nice. In other words, she's so nice that she eats whatever anyone puts in front of her. So um, the thing for her to do is just, you know, maybe give her my site or listen to a few radio shows and check out a discovery session. Oh, Cigarettes help B vitamin deficiency? How can that be? Okay. So whenever you have not enough of something, there's two ways to handle it. You can either get more or you can ration what you have. So cigarettes ration what you have. But cigarettes... So B vitamins are chiefly consumed by the brain, the liver, and the heart. And what the cigarettes do is they decrease the activity of the heart, decrease the activity of the liver, and they decrease the activity of the brain. And this means fewer B vitamins are consumed, and then you can lower your consumption to accommodate the available B vitamins. And you don't do what Jim Fix did, which is strip through all your vitamins and drop dead. So that's how cigarettes help with the B vitamin deficiency. Did you receive my email attachments and mechanisms of cancer? No. Could you comment on what percentage of doctors who you think are sociopaths? Um, you know, uh, I don't think they're sociopaths. I think the doctors are in a trance. And if you... Um, Listen to my show, The Training of a Mass Murderer. I have another one about what goes on in medical school. Basically, they put you in a trance, and they slow drip information that is totally at odds to your observations of what's going on around you. And they train you to accept these um, inaccurate representations, we'll call them lies, and to repeat these lies back on test and to act on these lies when you're examining patients. And so what you have then is the doctors are trained in what you might consider to be a totally fabricated alternative reality. In other words, um, men and women don't really like each other and there's really nothing thing as a happy marriage. Well, that's outrageous. But that's what we are trained in medical school. And if uh, a man and woman have any kind of disagreement, the, the remedy is always a divorce. I'm giving you some pretty broad stroke stuff. So doctors are basically trained home wreckers. And 
So there's a lot of value-based training in medical school, which trains us doctors to impose um, a culture or value system on our our patients. And we're also trained that patients are are like children. Actually, they're worse than children because they have uh, the authority to sign checks, to earn money, to make decisions, but they're clearly not qualified to make. And so we as doctors are uh, helping them by uh, telling them what to do. And so it's not that they're sociopaths, but just that they are trained in a constructed, fabricated, alternative reality. And once you understand that, really, that they have a different set of things that they think are true about you and about themselves, and maybe none of it is accurate, then it helps you understand things better. Um, I think the number of percent of doctors who are sociopaths are probably the same percent of sociopaths in any other part of society. But when you have just people who are in who are in a very deep, deep trance, because I used to um, talk to my doctor colleagues and say things like, you know, I'm not so sure we're doing a whole lot of good here. You know, I'm not sure we're really helping. And so this one doctor who's internal medicine, really, you know, I want to say popular doctor, but self, you know, really respected, good doctor, and he. Um, saw me the next time he gave me a book. So obviously he'd gotten this book and uh, he had read it and it really helped him out a lot to cope. And he handed it to me. And the title was Kill as Few Patients as Possible. In other words, that it's okay to kill patients. Just kill as few as you can. And so what happens when you have someone in a trance, in an alternative reality, and they're constantly bumping up against reality in the form of, say, a patient who's bringing them information. Information, by the way, we doctors have been trained to discount. It challenges that artificial, fake environment that the doctor is in. And just to let you know, just, just how secluded doctors are. Um, in my office, people would park their cars in the parking lot, they would sit in the lobby, and then they would come in to be seen. And so. My territory was the part, you know, the patient care part of the exam room. And so I would pick up the chart, call the person in, and, and sit down and roll up. And, and someone said to me, do you know you have two Mercedes parked in your parking lot? I said, really? Why did we drive those things? I didn't know that my patients were driving. <laughs> I had a bunch of patients who drove Mercedes and various other fancy cars. And so literally my parking lot was rotating through all these very fancy cars. And so I had no idea the true wealth and position of my patients. And this is how isolated doctors are, how absolutely isolated doctors are. You say, well, doctor, didn't you have windows? Yes, I had windows. But the windows were higher up, five foot ten inches tall, and the, windows, the bottom of the windows were like five foot five or so. So I had them higher, thought, well, they were higher than that. Maybe the bottom of the window was 5'10". Yeah, it was 5'10", or 6 feet. So I could get light in, so I didn't have a privacy issue. I didn't have to spend a whole lot of money on drapes. So that was a practical matter. But your doctor has very, very little external information. And he's being fed a pipeline, I mean a pipeline of fabricated stuff. 
And if you listen to a few of my radio shows, you'll see there are days where I just go through what, what's in your doctor's inbox. And it's totally preposterous. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, ludicrous. And that's really what's going on. There's a billboard on the highway with smiling people and a headline, You Can Live Better with Serious Disease. <laughs> you Can Live Better with Serious Disease. Exactly. That's quite a billboard. The question is, what's that billboard mean? Well, it means that the people advertising who are saying that, who are offering your service, are telling you, that you're going to still have your serious disease even after you consume whatever they're selling you. But you're going to live better with the serious disease. And that's totally unacceptable in my eyes, that what you really want to do is get rid of the disease, lessen disease. You want to influence the disease. You don't want the person to uh, be seriously ill um, but have petty fours instead of hot dogs. That doesn't, that's not good enough. Okay. Dr. Daniels, if you're growing traditional tobacco, can you chew on the leaves to support B vitamin uptake? Uh, I don't think tobacco leaves support B vitamin uptake. Also, if you can't get access to whole yogurt or kefir, how can you supplement B vitamins without B, B vitamin supplements? Nutritional yeast is ultra, ultra high in, in, um, in B vitamins. Green leafy vegetables, very, very high in B vitamins. Um, liver, very, very high in B vitamins. So there's lots of um, choices. Beans, for Christ's sake, very high in B vitamins. So there's lots of ways to get B vitamins. The thing is you don't want to deplete your B vitamins. You can have a serious emotional trauma. Maybe a parent had the death of a child. Um, maybe somebody has a serious uh, fright. Or, or something, or someone's going through a, um, an unexpected bankruptcy they hadn't planned for. Yes, some people do plan for bankruptcy. Ask, ask the big D. But these things are serious stressors, and they just chew up B vitamins, just chew them right up. And it's almost impossible to eat enough B vitamins to accommodate that type of stress on an ongoing basis. So you have to be careful and um, ration your stress. So you have to make up your mind. Certain things, you're just not going to get stressed out about. Oh, the president made a pronouncement? Well, that's his problem. You're not going to worry about it. Or you just have to make a list of things you are not going to worry about and uh, conserve your B vitamins. So if you're determined to get your B vitamins naturally, kind of like a Bell Davis, then you need to adjust your life so that you don't have a big need for B vitamins. So you can't be doing a lot of exercising like Gym Fix. And, you, and you know, you, you can't do it. And so you've got to make in mind that your, your physical activity is going to be limited to maybe some walking and nothing unnecessary and that you're going to uh, only engage in physical activity that's extremely pleasurable, and that you're simply not going to worry. I personally think that worry is the biggest uh, consumer of B vitamins. The other consumer of B vitamins is when you eat trash, I'll call it trash, 
uh, chemicals, preservatives and things, your liver has an extreme, extreme burden of purifying that and it has to suck up a lot of B vitamins to get the job done. So you just you just want to focus on eliminating or minimizing the discretionary, non-pleasurable things in your life that consume B vitamins. And there's no uh, no getting around that. So you just have to take a um, you know a conscious effort to manage your B vitamins. Let me take a look and see if we have anyone on the line. I'm really not sure how this went. Okay, so people on the call have any questions? Okay. We're just about at the end of our show here. So if you have a question, you click your button. Otherwise, we have... Uh, we're going to bring this show to a close. Well, um, the full show will be in the... Um, archives, and remember, health gurus hoist on their own petard. Healthcare, or being healthy, is a multifactorial thing. And if you ignore any of these factors, it can kill you. Hydration, nutrition, the presence of chemicals, and exercise. Your exercise is important that not exceed available nutrition. So if you're going to exercise, you have to increase your nutrition. And so this is this is a uh, a balance. And then you have diets like um, Evelina Cushy's diet, which excluded arbitrarily tomatoes. And if you exclude any one thing from your diet, I'm not eating this, fill in the blank, whatever it is, chances are there's going to be a deficiency associated with that, especially if the thing that you're not eating is something that's abundant in your own area. So that's basically um, the story. And don't you get hoisted on your own petard or anyone else's for that matter. We'll see you next week.